action in the street is exciting But Jesus, between all the bleeding and fighting I've been reading and writing We need to handle our financial situation Are we a nation of states? What's the state of our nation? A past patiently waiting and passionately smashing Every expectation, every action to act of creation I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow For the first time I'm thinking past tomorrow Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley. My name is Connor. And today we are going to be continuing our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton. During today's episode, we will be focusing on songs 33 through 35. One last time, I know him and the Adams administration. As per usual, we will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So no matter how or where you have experienced Hamilton, this is the perfect place for you to be. As always, Let's Dive Deep may contain adult content. In this episode, one of our characters calls another one of the off-screen characters a fat motherfucker. If this is not something you would like to explore further, and if I've just sworn in front of your children, this may or may not be the podcast for you to listen to. Additionally, it may not be the podcast for you to listen to if you don't like spoilers. I don't think we have any Hamilton first-timers here, but we might. Here's the thing. While our focus each episode is on a specific set of songs, we always take into account the full musical to add context to our discussion. If you are enjoying this podcast, there's a few things you can do. I did a deep dive on Bridgerton. You can search it in the show notes. It's a great time, very fun show. I'm the worst possible person to be doing that podcast, so it's pretty funny. Also, head and leave those reviews, Apple Store, leaving those reviews. I go and check on them. There are some really nice reviews on there, so thank you guys so much. Um, you have to search it by country, which is hard. So if you live in, like, Albania, I'm probably not checking your review yet, but I'll get around to you. Leave those reviews on the Apple Store. Very, very helpful. Hit that subscribe button wherever it is you are listening to this podcast. We also have a Twitter account at Let's Dive Deep. We also have a Gmail account. We're going to talk about emails in a minute here. So send those emails in. Let's Dive Deep pod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Okay, that's it. That's the meat and veg. So we're ready to go. Let's kick back, relax, maybe grab your beverage of choice. We both have black coffee today, and right. I certainly need it to dive deep into Hamilton. I know him, that can't be. That's that little guy who spoke to me all those years ago. What was it, 85? That poor man, they're going to eat him alive. Oceans rise, empires fall. Next to Washington, they all look small. All alone, watch them run. To pieces, Jesus Christ, this will be fun. Da 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 da
Good luck. All right, so before we dive deep into this podcast, there's a few things we need to talk about. First, I have a question for you. If the intro is the meat and veg, does that imply that the rest of this podcast is the dessert? 100 percent it's just gotcha. one big so musical sunday then, gotcha okay cool 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 I just yeah to we gotta check. like gotta gotta get the chores out of the way right right yeah. yeah so like this okay that's good i like our podcast as like a dessert at the end of a day mm-hmm. you've had a tough maybe not even a tough day but just a, you, you worked you worked hard right you're you're kicking back in bed you're on the ride home maybe you're in a commute i like that for us that we're the dessert podcast Anyways. i think so and then we've got we've got some episodes that are they're long enough till it's like it's that night where you can't decide between cake or pie. Right. And you have both. <laughs> you have the whole indecision about the dessert, the eating of dessert, the feeling bloated after dessert, the going to bed, realizing you have the whole evening routine in some uh-huh, Exactly. Um, the next thing, just so listeners know, um, I live in Vancouver. Uh, it's been a minute since we recorded the podcast. Our apologies, but real life stuff. Um, since we last recorded, Vancouver has melted in the sweltering heat of record temperatures of 115 degrees in freedom units. And so it's very hot. If you can hear my air conditioner, I'm so sorry. It's either use the air conditioner or die. And I'm going to use the air conditioner in this case. Before we get started, though, I got an email from a listener, Annabella. I got this email last night, so I haven't shared it with Connor yet. Annabella emailed, and she wanted to talk just a little bit more about Macbeth and the reference to Macbeth. And as I read this email, I don't think it fully applies to the musical Hamilton, but I'm shocked because I'm positive both of us are well aware of this and did not bring it up specifically. And her email says um, where it is. But here's something to think about. It's a longer email, but this is the Macbeth part. Since the superstition of Macbeth is something you don't say in a theater, otherwise your show will not go well, Think about the events that happened after Hamilton says Macbeth. After he references the Scottish tragedy and actually says the word Macbeth, everything in his life begins to go downhill because he has, in quotes, the curse of Macbeth. Now, my understanding of the curse of Macbeth is a little bit different. My understanding of it is that it's mostly a Scottish thing, not, not, a, not an American thing, not a Broadway thing, or even a West End thing. It's mostly a Scottish thing. And my understanding that if it's in the script, it's fine. It's if you're just like, you just, the curse of Macbeth only applies to you saying the word. It's kind of like jinxing a goalie in a sports game, right? Like you're watching a hockey game and you say, like, oh, they're going to get a shutout. They're definitely not. It's like a jinx. And so I don't think it perfectly applies to Hamilton for a variety of reasons, but I'm shocked that I didn't think of it, because that's the coolest thing about Macbeth, is the ongoing curse of Macbeth. It's a very cool thing, and I'm glad that Annabella brought it up. I think I I glossed over it when we were discussing the song, because to me, and I'm not, I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to belittle its importance at all, right? But for me, it was just kind of an automatic surface-level thing, because the the curse of the Scottish play is kind of like just part of my daily jargon in the end, you know? And so for me, it was, it was kind of like, uh, you know, it's just something that I deal with on a regular basis. So I didn't like, I, I appreciate the way Lynn worked it into the show and his, his joke about, you know, another Scottish tragedy without me having to name the play but then he goes and names the play. Like, what, right. are you, what are you doing? You know? And so I do think that that's a conscious choice on Lynn's part. I also love the cheeky, like, to, uh, uh, to Angelica. Like, I'm sure you know the play I'm talking about. You smart, smart woman. Let right. me flirt with you with my brain. Ha <laughs> right. ha. 
there is the the idea of Macbeth as a cursed play in th- and it is it is a prevalent thing over here in the states too it it is the you know it's the curse of the scottish play but it's it's common here too and yeah so the idea is you only in a theater you only say the word macbeth if you are performing macbeth and if you say it in a theater and 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 someone doesn't kick you out and you don't dispel the curse immediately <laughs> By by spitting outside the theaters, running around the theater, spinning three times and cursing, uh, then then the play is doomed. Yeah, but I think you know the the idea of that play being cursed is 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 superstition and to the, there's a there's a certain romanticism that follows the theater because we're all storytellers and i think that's why we're so attracted to ghost stories because we run out of stories to tell and so we invent more right just because that's what we are storytellers i think hamilton's curse is of his own doing i think that is central to his story right in my opinion it's not a scottish tragedy it's a greek tragedy his undoing is his own fault right and like like the plays of uh, Aeschylus or Socrates, you know, we're going back to, we kind of, we kind of understand how it's going to, ha- what's going to happen. We're watching the story to see what happens along the way. You know, you never, you never sit down to read or watch Oedipus Rex thinking this might turn out well, right. you know, it's a tragedy, you know, that going into it, right? It's about how the characters break themselves down along the way. Right. It's um, it's it is shameful that we didn't discuss it. It, it was is just one indeed. of those things. Like my limited <laughs> knowledge about theater. Mm-hmm. I love Shakespeare. I I just think Shakespeare is the best. I enjoyed every English class on. I I'm just out of all the things I don't know, like concentric donut revolves. <laughs> the one thing I definitely know about theater is the curse of Macbeth. And the fact that I had never once thought about it in this case, when he's literally the one rule is don't say Macbeth. And he's mm-hmm. in the play. I spent so much time on that podcast being like, why the hell does he write the word Macbeth in here? It seems redundant, right? It's like, that's because it's like, it's just like a fun little, it sneaks in. It's a fun little play on a curse on a play on a curse on a, on a, like, it's just so good. And I just, Annabella, thank you for the email. I'm a, whether it perfectly fits Hamilton, who knows, but like whether it's something like definitely me or that we should have at least brought up is 100%. And I'm upset with myself that I, I do didn't... think it fits, you know, <laughs> I, th- right. I think it's an astute observation and whether, you know, whether you can scan it perfectly to the show or not, whether it matches perfectly that, you know, that matters less than the fact that it's true for Annabella, you know, and we've said a couple times about Hamilton. One of the things that's great about this show, there's so much of it. You know, you're talking about your air conditioning. I think everybody just heard my cat hit the floor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) There's so much to this show that every time you come back to the well, you get something more, right? It's just, that's why it's, it's worthy of explorations like this. And we're not the only ones that have done it. You know, right. we yeah. probably won't be the last either. I, I think that because of its place in the American canon, people are going to be breaking the show down for a while. 
you know, all I and... want, my goal for this podcast is just to be referenced in another breakdown, like to be the site of the, like the, the citation of the citation. Like I want in the bottom of someone else's like analysis to be like, like this first citation is like Hamilton, Disney plus. Wow. Next citation. Let's dive deep podcast. <laughs> Brad and Connor. <laughs> like, that's what I want. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like, these guys talked about the curse of Macbeth. So I'm going to, maybe <laughs> Annabella can be cited somewhere in the that's all i'm looking for this whole well, podcast Annabella, is actually a... when you finish your thesis let us know right. <laughs> let us okay. know if you let's put move us on your... we have t-minus two hours and 20 minutes till the euro final it's coming home baby and we got to get through <laughs> we should comfortably get through this should not be a three-hour one but who knows with us we are starting off today with one last time like every other song where everyone gets to flex a little bit let's just start off with the flex Chris Jackson, as Washington, this is his flex song. He gets to go show his vocal muscles, his choreography muscles a little bit. Like, just really gets his time to shine. Just initially, thoughts on Chris Jackson's performance, and maybe even how it compares a little bit to the room where it happened with Leslie Odom Jr., satisfied with um, Renee Elise Goldsberry. Like, we have these songs that are that are designed, even Lafayette gets his in Guns and Ships. Right, we have these songs that serve a purpose, but also just let a single individual um, performer flex a little bit. And this is it for Chris Jackson. And it fits both with Chris Jackson and the character of Washington. If Washington didn't have a breakout moment as an audience member, you would be. You, you, it would be understandable if you were a bit confused because he is Washington in the context of a musical about people that are making governance happen. Right. And these characters right. around him. He, uh, you know, you mentioned Leslie Odom. I, I've said about him, he has no ceiling, and Jackson doesn't either. Jackson has apparently no top. Whenever you think he's done, he's gonna he's gonna find another gear, shift into it, and and just keep on going. And I think that when you have a performer like Jackson, once again, I don't know if he was cast and then this number was written or if it was the number was written for him. But when you have someone like him, like you do this, like I'm, I'm getting a little out of storytelling here, just talking about like the crafting of the musical and how well it's done. But like when you have someone that has the power of Jackson, you do this, you give him this moment and he's good in everything he's in, you know? This, in the Heights, Moana, like, he just slays. He is amazing, you know? He, he always delivers. And what I love about this performance and what I think makes it distinctly different from some of the other breakaway powerhouses in the show is that all of these, all of the key performers have a distinct style. They are unique to themselves. David Diggs has his own thing. Leslie Odom Jr. has his own thing. Renee has her own thing. And Jackson has his. They have unique personalities within the show, right? And when we, we get a number like this, it's very soulful. It's stately. It's very, it, it's kind of proper in a way. Right, absolutely. You know, it, it doesn't have it doesn't have that fluid bounce of Lafayette and Jefferson. It's very it's very stately. It fits the character for sure, but also it just fits his voice so well. 
you know? Yeah, he's I, not jumping I, yeah. on a table with the cloth being pulled out underneath him. Like, it's much more of a, like a stately performance, a much more mm-hmm. composed performance. Right, and he has, he has time, you know? He's able to find space and breadth in this number. And it's, it's one of our, once again, we've got Washington with props. You know, we've got the table. He's got time to interact with them. You know, we have this very formal, relax, have a drink with me. You know, and that kind of sets the tone for the number. You know, I'm, I'm going to confide in you and I'm going to be meaningful and sincere. It's a very earnest song, right? And we start with the two of them sharing their, uh, their brandy or whiskey. What It's probably apple brandy given the, the time period. Um, but also, I love that Hamilton has to go back for seconds. He's like, you're quitting. Yeah, what? Oh, I, I need, love I need that another. But yeah. yeah like he walks behind and like pours himself another drink. Uh-huh. And like, yeah. it's, this whole thing is so well done. This is yeah, okay. It's, it's another example of people can dunk on Lin-Manuel's vocals <laughs> all they want. His, his moment-to-moment acting is incredible mm-hmm. in this song. It's so good. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, so it really good. is. Even the start of the song, like the whole start is so funny because Washington knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to tell Hamilton that he's resigning. He knows, like he knows what this conversation is going to be like. And yet Hamilton comes in. He's like, dude, I swear whatever happened, it was all Jefferson. I didn't do it. Like, he's, he's still in that like kind of like toddler-esque mode we've talked about right before where he's like him and Jefferson as well. Like they just have these moments where they're just... They're not really like stately composed adults. Mm-hmm. They're kind of just like toddlers. Right? Like, dude, whatever it is, Jefferson started like you're a professional, Hamilton. Like mm-hmm. you are a professional running a government. Like you can't walk into a meeting <laughs> as if like whatever it is, my brother did it. I just had nothing to do with it. Like I just like for this moment that Hamilton is has no idea what's going to happen. And so he is just still in full Hamilton mode. Whereas mm-hmm. Washington starts out knowing, I just, it's great acting, it's great staging, it's great, all of it. On that note, I appreciate the costuming choice here. My interpretation of this moment is that Hamilton, in as much as they're dressed so similarly, my interpretation of this moment is that Hamilton is doing everything he can to be like Washington. He's using Washington as his example. And he's trying to live up to what Washington is, you know, but he can only do it outwardly. Inwardly, he is exactly as you just described him. He can't actually be an adult. He's just wearing his big boy clothes. He's not actually a big boy. It's kind of like what Jefferson said, like he dresses like fake royalty. Like he's trying so hard Mm -hmm. outwardly to be a thing that he just internally (laughs) is not, which is fine. Hamilton, like depending on how you measure his success is good at his job. Right. Like it, it, it's all about perspective. It's just Hamilton is mm-hmm. not Washington. And it's super apparent here, even afterwards, even after he gets the whatever it is, Jefferson started it before Washington <laughs> can even explain himself. He goes like, I'm just going to go straight to the press and like, destroy this dude. I'm so excited. Like, don't mm-hmm. you even worry, Washington. By tomorrow, Jefferson will be finished. Like he has no. He has just no. Like, there's, there's black and there's white. Like he is going to go after Jefferson. Like that is his whole goal at the beginning of this conversation. And there's no room anywhere in the middle for anything. Like like for Washington to say anything else. He he doesn't think Washington is going to say anything else other than Jefferson resigned. Like go fucking get him. Hmm. Yeah. Hamilton's like great. He he quit. You can you can finally speak your mind. Oh, you're not going to do it? Okay, I'll... Oh, man, you won't believe but what also, I can like, do. I'll assuming, do it. Fine. Assuming that Washington 
also thinks about Jefferson the same way Hamilton does. <laughs> right? Like it's the same kind of thing. Like like Hamilton is assuming in this moment that Washington has nothing nice to say about Jefferson and, and doesn't like him just as much as Hamilton does, which probably isn't true. Mhm. I don't I don't think Washington dislikes anybody the way Hamilton dislikes people. I I think that he's meant the character of Washington in the play to me I interpret him as a as a much more even-keeled guy. The only time we really see anger or disappointment from him is towards Hamilton. Yes. And I think that that's intentional, you know? Absolutely. We get like, this really funny moment, which I think is perfect, where um, Washington says that Jefferson's stepping down so he can run for president. Fair enough. Glad elections are working so far. Awesome stuff. Right. And Hamilton has this like, ha, good luck defeating you. And that's exactly what we all think. Right. Like it's Washington, of course, like and like, of course, he would never be able, like Washington would just win. Right. And so mm-hmm. I like that moment because in that moment, Hamilton is reading the room correctly. Like, OK, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, you're going to step down and run against Washington. Like, that's just like suicide. It's political suicide. You're never going to win. And then Washington mm-hmm. drops the hammer that he's also stepping down. And that's where we really start to get into this more soulful song. Because now Hamilton's like, wait, what? Like, mm-hmm. are, like, he can't even believe what he's hearing. Yeah. It takes him a lot of time to really catch up and realize what's actually going on. It's like he's stuck in the moment for a bit before he realizes that Washington is serious. It it's almost it's it's like it's like someone's getting broken up with and they're not quite processing it, you know? Right, absolutely. It, <laughs> it's like Washington or, or uh, Hamilton is being dumped for the first time in a way. And you know, one thing I wonder about this number and about this moment, the the decision to step down. I see the merit of it, and I see the romance of it. I I get it. It works on me emotionally. But I wonder, just for the sake of argument, you know, Washington's point is to show how we can transition power peacefully, how the system is supposed to work. He's trying to use this as a teachable moment, right? Would it have been more effective if he had run against Jefferson and lost and then peacefully stepped aside? Is that more of a teachable moment? Of course, we'll never know, right? And especially because we believe that had he run, he would have won. And I think that Washington standing in the country at this time, he probably would have won again and, and just been president forever. I do, I, I do love him choosing to abdicate. I love that. I'm just wondering, like, would it have been a better lesson had he lost and accepted it gracefully? I think the answer to that is yes. I think, I think showing that not only can we transition power, but it's okay to lose. Like, that's the point, is that someone can lose. Like someone in power can lose, like actually lose the power instead of just giving it away. I think though that you, I think you think you make the calculation. Like if you're probably going to win, right? You take the lesson you can. You you know you can get one of the lessons. You're not sure if you can get the other, right? You know that if you step down and give it away, that's a lesson you have full control over. You can frame it. You can do all the news posts. You can draft all the addresses. You have full control over how this lesson gets framed to the public. Yeah, right. and I think that that is the that's the purpose here, right? Because he does want to craft that message perfectly, and that's that. I think that is why he takes the the choice to control how he steps down, and I think that's reflected in 
the show. We see them drafting the address. That's what half of this song is about, is Hamilton, I need you to... I, I haven't quit yet. I do need you to do your job and write some shit right now. Can you... Can you relax? I, I pick up a pen, start writing. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> you know, it, this is the one time in the show where Hamilton doesn't immediately start writing. This is he's so flabbergasted he doesn't write like he's running out of time. Right. Also, it's nice to see that you can tell that this decision, like Washington's already at peace with it. Mm-hmm. When Hamilton comes, he's not going to be talked out of it. It doesn't matter. Like he's like, relax, have a drink with him. Like, he's already made his full peace with his choice. When like that's a smart move because you know how Hamilton's gonna react. Like make mm-hmm. the decision, right, and then be be at peace with it before you tell people is a smart way to approach this with the characters that we're dealing with in this show. Now I wonder from Jefferson's point of view if he knew this was gonna because canonically in the musical it doesn't seem that way, but obviously like it it might have been a little bit different in real life. I wonder if Jefferson decides to run before. Washington says he's stepping down or not because in real life I have a hard time believing that but in the musical maybe I don't know I think that's fun from Jefferson's point of view like when does he know that Washington's stepping down because in the musical it seems like he doesn't know and he's just gonna run anyway that's that's how I read his character my my interpretation is that you know Jefferson is Jefferson's a bit like the terrier that's trying to fight a mastiff you know like he's swinging way above his weight right and he do- he doesn't care because he he does believe that that Washington and Hamilton are so wrong he's willing to fight for it right and i believe that jefferson is willing to lose because he has to fight and if he has to fight washington he's going to do it because he is a man of conviction and that's going to be very important later. Right, you know? absolutely. Like, the fact that Jefferson is a man of conviction, that's going to keep paying off throughout the rest of the show. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I do think that he chooses to run before Washington steps down because that's, that's the way it's presented to us in the show. Now, this is a great uh, post-hoc, ergo proctor-hoc debate here. Because you never know, right? We're never gonna. Do you know? Do you know post hoc ergo propter hoc? Yes. Yeah. Like, sure, we can assume that it's cause and event, but like, we'll never know. (laughs) Yeah, we just won't know. But it's just like parts of this are incorrect. Like my recollection of just briefly going over this history is that mm-hmm. Hamilton doesn't actually resign at the same time. Like Hamilton's already resigned by the time Washington hands over power. Like this, there's mm-hmm. some of the things are a little bit out of order. That's why I bring up the Jefferson thing. Like it's cool to try and like in real life, what was the order of things? Cause in terms of when Hamilton stops being the treasury secretary, he has a longer stay in the musical or at yeah. least it's perceived that way than he did in real life. And so it's just the interesting what gets reordered and what Lin-Manuel wants to kind of reconfigure for the musical and what he doesn't. And what he doesn't show us is whether Jefferson already knows or not, but he kind of implies that he doesn't, that he's willing to fight anyway and and lose or win or yeah. something. That's the interpretation that I get as well. Now, as as to the firing, resigning thing, we have a tradition uh, in the States where when an administration is ending, everybody offers their resignation 
And then the new administration can either accept or reject that resignation. So the the Adams fires Hamilton thing, I interpret as Adams just didn't rehire Hamilton. Right. I, I also um, think that that's completely in the musical. I think Hamilton was already not the Treasury Secretary before Adams was even involved. That's my memory, too. Like, that's, I think, that's I think my Adams recollection fires as well, Hamilton yeah. is not a real life thing. I think that's just a musical thing. Yeah, but it plays in the musical. It's a totally great thing it to works. adapt. It works way better for the musical. I just don't think that's what I'm saying is there are some bits of it that are kind of out of order, but who fires who and when Hamilton is actually the Treasury Secretary and not. So from the Jefferson's point of view, maybe something shuffled around and I'm just not aware of it. Um, what I like here next is Hamilton. I know I dunked on Hamilton for the where do we draw the line thing. And I'm very passionate about that. Like it's just it's never a good excuse ever because there's always someone always draws the line somewhere. It's the same thing with this is a little I'm a little less. This one is a little more palatable for me. There are some times that are better than others for certain things. Right. But the with Britain and France on the verge of war, is this the best time? It's like Hamilton. You'll all like whenever George Washington wants to resign, George Washington is like the central bit of chaos that gives Hamilton his power, right? Like mm -hmm. Washington mm -hmm. is necessary for Hamilton to be this powerful. So no matter when Washington resigns, Hamilton's just going to pick the biggest event of the day. But is it the best, is it the best time? There was a, there was a riot in, uh, in Boston the other day. And they just said, I don't know, maybe they need the president to deal with it. Like, are you sure you want to resign right now? Like, I just think no matter what happens here, Hamilton will just pick the thing of the day as the reason why Washington can't step down. And I just want to highlight, it's another mostly bad excuse. Like, is this the best time? It's like, sometimes that makes sense. This is not one of those times, I don't think. It's also disingenuous. Hamilton didn't want them to get involved. Right, so right, right. Now he's... Hamilton's like, whole shtick was like, hey, it's such a, a smart man, he'll be fine. He'll Leave be him fine. alone. It's such a bad faith argument. Right. You know, he's so grasping at straws. Yeah. He's, you know, if it was, if, if, if let's say it was on a Tuesday and it, instead, if it had been on a Thursday, Hamilton would have brought up, you know, some dispute between Botswana and Uganda, you know, right, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like whatever. It, it, yeah, it's I, the, the weather is going to be super cold next week. And I don't think we should. I think we should, you know, people need comfort in the cold weather. They don't need it. Right. Like, it's <laughs> just whatever. Um Washington then hilariously tries to warn, like he wants to warn against partisan fighting. And I just wrote like too late. You, mm -hmm. <laughs> you didn't even make it through one administration <laughs> before that was a problem. It's, it's one of the, the tragic ironies of Washington's career because the development of different political factions was the last thing he wanted. You know, that is a, he tried to do everything he could to prevent it. And it's 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 comically unfortunate that this develops within his own administration. You know, it happens Before within he's his even own. Done. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like it's within his own cabinet. You know, and they had they had such an an awful taste in their mouth from the the partisan faction fighting from english politics they wanted to excise it from american politics and it just didn't it didn't happen i think some of them were just still too english you know i think that 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 legacy of of the english system it just it it just remained right 
And, you know, I mean, you look at uh, English Parliament sessions, man, they, they are wild. <laughs> They're absolutely is the wild. Best parliament. I know. It's crazy. In terms of like viewing spectacle. Like, oh, yeah. See, they did the smart thing, though, is they don't. So Canada and the UK have a very similar system where the number of representatives increases, unlike your Congress, right? And so, like, frequently we have to renovate our parliament building because as our population increases or contracts, our, num- our mm-hmm. members of parliament go up or down so they can represent the same number of people per member. Yeah. <laughs> so Britain does the smart thing is they never increase the size of the chamber it's still bunched together like, yeah like 700 mps or whatever <laughs> and there's 230 seats or something like that which mm-hmm. is smart because it means only a third of them can be fighting at one time right like you can't have all 700 people in one room fighting with each other and i think so we don't do it that way and we have way less people right but we're like currently on like renovation number three in my lifetime of the house of commons like trying to make it big enough for all the representatives. And so I like their approach at least, which is like, this shit's fucking wild. It is out of control on a good day. Let's not make, like we're cutting the limit. <laughs> it doesn't, if there's a million members of parliament, 200 get to fight at one time. The other ones do not. <laughs> Sorry, that was a detour away from Hamilton. I just like that approach to things. Like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna have a lot of fucking assholes here fighting all the time, but we're gonna limit the amount of it. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Washington. Oh, me. (laughs) Washington, like you mentioned, wants Hamilton to, I don't know, do his job. Which, to be fair to Hamilton, it is kind of like, what's going on? Like, am I relaxing and having a drink with you? Or am I doing my job? Like, which one of these two? To me, they seem, like, different. Or am I relaxing, having a drink, and doing my job? Like, I don't know. Anyways. um, Yeah, the expectations of his supervisor are not clear. I I would take this up with HR. Absolutely. absolutely. Like, it's not clear what exactly Washington wants Hamilton to do right now. Um, um, But Hamilton says, as far as the people are concerned, you could continue to serve. You have to serve. Like, that's that's how Hamilton is thinking. And I always, like, anytime anyone says, like, oh, the people. It's like, who are these people, Hamilton? Who do you talk to every day? Like, <laughs> who is it that you're visiting every day that has mm-hmm. so many opinions? Like, according to the, you just found this out. You have not talked to any people since Washington told you that he was resigning. You have the opinion of zero people on this. But, like, I just like that. I just always like that line because Hamilton has not left this room. He has not consulted a single other human. Yeah, right. The idea that Hamilton's been doing polling consulting during the entire right. administration. <laughs> he's, been, you know. he's been polling the, like, hey, if Washington resigns, do you think he should? Yes yeah. or no? I wouldn't be surprised yeah, if we find out, like, hey, he created the Coast Guard, the New York Post, and the first polling agency. Yeah, he's got a call center over in Brooklyn, right, you know, that's, that's exactly sending right. out letters, uh, surveys to people. <laughs> right. Um, but I like the sentiment here. Right, like Hamilton's sentiment, I think. Like now we're getting to the part of the song where he's not really immature Hamilton. He's kind of like come to terms Hamilton and he's he's really sincerely trying to say something. And it is self-serving in the sense that he needs Washington to be as powerful as he is. But also, by all accounts, like Washington is a competent person doing his job during it's still a very young nation who who has no idea whether this whole system is actually going to work or not even to even today like people in america still call it the american experiment in 2021 like it the the idea of this whole thing is that it's an ongoing ever-evolving like garden that needs to be tended to over and over and over again it's never stopped being an experiment up until today and so i i do like hamilton 
at least somebody here advising some sort of caution. Like, hey, right, Washington's already made peace, but I think his caution here is warranted. It's, it, it makes a lot of sense for the gravity of this decision in a young nation still trying to find itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that his argument here is very logical, and he's appealing to Hamilton in a way that says, look, you're, you want me to serve the people. You want me to lead. I'm telling you I am serving the people and leading them and guiding this experiment by doing what I'm doing. I'm I'm doing what you're wanting me to do. I'm just not going to be doing it from behind this desk anymore. You know, I think that, yeah, he is absolutely making a contribution to that experiment. And I think a valuable one, you know, I think what he's what he's doing here, right? This is this is the lesson that was that was intended to prevent days like January 6th of this year. That was the hope, right? And the lesson of Washington lasted a couple hundred years. You know, I think yep. that his, his, his job, he did his job effectively. I wonder if the character of Washington actually wants to step down. I wonder if, that is his desire or if he feels compelled to because he he feels like he has to teach this lesson or or to put it a different way would he have done the same if he didn't have his belief that history has its eyes on you right like if he I, could I am pretty convinced could, by i'm pretty convinced by the scripture part right we know hamilton is not a religious guy until later mm -hmm. right but like i think when Washington is talking about like what the scripture says, I think, I think a lot of, I think a lot of, um, faith, right? Like a lot of, of having this faith, right? The scripture doesn't say anything about being the president of the United States, right? Like, but what this, <laughs> but what you can do as I think this is what, and I'm not a super religious person at all, but I think one of the benefits of having just this, this undying, like faith and belief in this, in this text is you can make a choice like this with the gravity of this choice and then find find the 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 piece of scripture you need find that piece in something you have kind of this this just rock solid faith in right so i can mm -hmm. imagine a situation where washington decides he's going to step down to teach this lesson and then goes and finds the the bit of scripture about the vine and the fig tree and goes yes this is the right thing to do like the scripture says right and 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 i'm relating it to the scripture i think helps I think I think you know you never know which order this went in, but I think that's mm -hmm. the that is part of having that faith is that you get to, you can make whichever choice you're going to make, and then you can find within your faith, within the scripture, within your belief system, the justification or the reason to do it. And I think for Washington, this works out just beautifully here with the vine and the fig tree thing. I think it does too. I I love the idea of someone realizing that that they have earned their rest that they that because of their service because of their toil because of their work they have earned their respite that's what the the, the scripture here says to me is he's realizing that it is i i don't think there uh how do i put it i don't think there's shame in enjoying your dessert right of course he's, he's done his meat exactly. and veg and he's saying he's getting his dessert you know I just, yeah, I wonder, I've all, I, I, I often wonder, is he, 
you know, we were before we pressed record, we were talking about the temptation of power and of status, right? Is like is Washington is he so great just because he's immune to that and stepping down is so easy? Is that the lesson? Or 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 did he is there a part of him that might want to stay and is he doing it just because he knows it's right? And I wonder that because I think if if that's possible, if there's room for him in the character, it actually makes him more noble to want to stay, but give it up, you know, because he yeah. knows that it's the right thing to do. You know, I just, I, something I, I, I ponder about something that goes into as, you know, as you included in the notes, it goes to my wondering about his Hufflepuffiness. Right. It's the, what know? a Hufflepuff would do. A Hufflepuff yeah. would do it because it's the right thing to do. Right. Even if you want it to be president, Right. And also, also, it's the right thing to do in retrospect. At the time, you actually don't know. We look on it 200 years, 250 years later, however long it's been, as the right thing to do. It could have all gone, like, Washington could have resigned, the whole fucking election system could have broken down, no one could have given a shit, and would have all gone to shit, and then Washington would have made a terrible mistake. Right? Like, it, it only, it's only a good choice in hindsight, because it worked out very well, but this could have easily just as much been like, ah, you know, six of one half dozen of another. Like, if this doesn't go well, if he resigns and people lose trust in the system, they lose faith in the system, America's like, you know, King George is about to say there's no one in this country that looms quite as large. America's largest looming figure, who's a competent governor, just steps aside for someone who's less... You know what I mean? Like, I, I imagine a scenario, maybe not 50-50, but where this doesn't go well and it gets looked back on as a terrible decision. And Hamilton being completely correct. I think that there's... I think there's a place for it to be considered noble, whether the end result was effectively good or bad. Absolutely, too. Yes. Yeah. I think that there's, you know, there once again, there's some gray there somewhere in the middle. I think that the idea of letting your power go, I think that there is some nobility to that either way. And I think that it's well represented here. And I don't. God, the the, the words we're using today, nobility stateliness looming large like i just i keep coming back to who better than chris jackson it's just it keeps coming into my mind like who this is one of the perfect performances in the show for me like the more we talk about it the more i see it again in my mind the more i hear it like it's just uh sorry i just had to take a break to celebrate jackson again for just one last time (laughs) <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is Hamilton is coming at this from a, a, a rather individualist perspective. Like, they will see you're weak. And Washington's like, no, they will see we're strong. Like, he's it's more of a, like, his ethos here is more of a community. Like, they will see that we as a nation are strong, regardless of whether it makes me look weak, which I think lends some credence to the argument that he's doing this more for the nobility because it's the right thing to do and less for what he personally wants in this situation. Mm-hmm. Well, and once again, Hamilton coming from a place of ego, you know, uh, your pride will be the death of us all. Careful. It goeth before the fall from several songs ago. It comes, it comes here again. Hamilton is thinking about no, your legacy people, what they think of you. Hamilton is so concerned about public perception from what I think is a negative place. And you're describing Washington as being concerned about public perception from a positive motivational space. 
And I think the difference between those two that you're delineating there is really important to realize. It helps you understand the, the entire song and their, their difference of opinion, you know? And, and that, that comes full circle to Washington saying um, uh, to, to the scripture that he chooses. Everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree. Everyone. I want, I want this for myself because I want this for everyone. Everybody deserves peace and safety. And I want to contribute to that peace and safety in this nation we've made for everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. I love we, that. We then I, get this, this really beautiful, I'm assuming most of this is just the, what the actual letter slash speech slash whatever was in real life. Um, I don't actually know that. I'm just going to assume that most of it's pretty just identical. Um, but the uh, the really cool way that Hamilton starts reading this this letter that he's written for Washington, the 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 thing that Washington's hoping he's going to write, and how as it goes on, Hamilton slowly fades more and more into the background. And Chris Jackson, at one point, they're both reading it, and then it just transitions into Washington, kind of kind of taking center stage and finishing up this letter and i really enjoy that for two reasons it kind of gives you a behind the scenes look of like speech writing right like hamilton's written this beautiful thing and washington's now like performing it which i think is a cool just a little relationship tidbit but also it is what's happening like washington is taking center stage and resigning but hamilton in terms of influence power position is fading into the background right at the end of the by the end of the song he's like on stage right i think it is right he's in the blue lit area he's not very visible like he's almost like he's such a prominent part of the song and by the end of it he's like faded into the background with everyone else everyone else that's also faded into the background and hamilton's just one of the people there and so i think the way this was lit and the way hamilton moves around the stage with washington and the way the microphones like slowly kind of lower one's audio and and and, and increase the others like it all adds to this this buildup of of Hamilton just kind of fading into the background. Yeah, this is a beautiful moment of practical function on stage lining up with narrative function so well, because you have to have Hamilton back up and recede just so Washington can can have the focus, right? Washington, er, Hamilton has to give stage to Hamilton just for the end of the number. That's how it has to function. So we, we have to functionally block all of that to happen. But narratively, it works so well because, as we've talked about already, this is Hamilton's political power receding as well. Because he's nothing without daddy behind him, right? Right, You know, absolutely. And with, without Washington in power, Hamilton's not going to have much power either. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it works really well. And then having him, yeah, I think they are, it's, it's him and... Um, uh him and and betsy and um and philip uh downstage right and once again focusing on washington and that psychic line is great because you see them looking at him so you know to focus on him but also it's a great visual metaphor for them looking to him for an example and he's Absolutely. providing it yeah it's brilliant it's simple it's all but really There's also a, a really good lesson in here too. My favorite part of this whole little speech and all the vine and fig tree stuff is great. And I'm sure if you are someone who is more religious and really like, like 
into understanding the scripture, like the vine and fig tree probably means more to you as something you would have studied your life up until now, which I just, Hamilton's my only experience with it. But the, the letter that says, though in reviewing the incidents of my administration, I am unconscious of intentional error. I am nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it's probable that I may have committed many errors. I think that's just such a good lesson that no matter how good you're like everyone, it's like life happens in the gray. Everyone makes mistakes. Even if you're not conscious of what those mistakes are, like having the, just the self-awareness in a, in a public address, I mean, you don't need to do it. No one's out here like trying like, oh, Washington's resigned. Like he doesn't need to admit to these errors. Right. But he does. He's like, hey, I'm not a perfect person. Right. I have probably in retrospect made tons of errors. And I, what I like about that is we're trying to teach a lesson here in this song about learning how to say goodbye, learning how to move on. And I think what's great is it primes it primes the, the country, the audience to, to kind of self-reflect a little bit on themselves. And like I make loads of errors in my job all the time, I'm sure. Right. Like it happens all the time for everyone. But also that, hey, the next person you elect will make loads of errors. And the person after that is going to make loads of errors, right? Like it's an experiment that's, it's, it's more about the intention and the, and the upkeep of the experiment, less about executing it perfectly every single day, because that's just not humanly possible. And I really like how this lesson kind of slides in with all of the other stuff going on. I think you said that beautifully. Perfect. I happen Sweet. to completely agree. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, the last thing for this song that I have that I really want to talk about is just, I think this is the last time on stage where everyone just exists in some kind of peace, right? Where it's just Washington is center stage and all of our main cast is there in character, right? Like Hamilton is with Eliza and Philip, right? Jefferson and Madison are there. Like everyone's there in their character. You know, sometimes they're in their costume and everything, but they're in the balcony and they're not really in character. They're they're just kind of around, right? Or Mariah Reynolds is like off stage. Like she's not in character, but she is. Like Hamilton's like looking at her as if it's happening in his head. Like that happens. But here they're all in character on stage watching Washington kind of leave this power, which I think is it's just the last moment in this musical where everyone is together and not actively like trying to fuck with each other, which I just think is a nice moment to call out. I think it's significant to call out too, because it does reflect that 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 there is a kind of peace that departs with Washington. I don't think that's accidental. I think that that's something that you are definitely intended to notice, as you have just done. Right? We are we are meant to notice that we have that we have this moment of peace, and then it changes drastically. That 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 leaves with Washington. And it's sad because his hope is not fulfilled, right? He was hoping, you know, this was going to be positive and good and political chaos ensues. Well, yeah, I think the amount of times Washington is rolled in his grave from the point he resigns or the point he dies until 2021 is too many. He's probably ripped. He's like Jack. He's got, right. like his, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, now it is, it's worth, it's worth admitting or acknowledging that it wasn't for lack of trying <laughs> like right, Washington did not. try to set things up well <laughs> and everything that everything that goes pear-shaped was not his fault it's mostly Hamilton's and I think that's a big point of this story you know that he was hoisted by his own petard and Washington certainly tried 
<laughs> yeah, the the you last really thing do. I want to call out in this song is just the, the the specific lighting. I don't know what you call this lighting or what the effect is meant to be, but I found mm-hmm. it to be super effective for a, re- a reason that's probably not the intended reason. Um, what I like about the lighting is it's a very kind of rectangular stream of just warm colored, like normal lighting. Yeah, you have the when they're, on the they're walking together. Absolutely. And to me, to me, it almost (laughs) looks like what happens when you open a door into a dark room, right? Like Mm -hmm. you open the door and then the, 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 the rectangle of the door frame is, is what creates the shadow on either end. And the light comes through the door frame in that same rectangular way. And I've always just imagined like Washington walking out of the door. Like this is a room that he's in and the lighting Mm -hmm. is always like, to me kind of reference, like, Oh, he's opened the door. He's leaving. And when he leaves, he'll close the door behind him. And that's just it for Washington. Like one last time, once he's gone, he's gone. Like one last time, he's going to talk to everyone as the president. And after that, he's going to his mansions of rest and he's closing the door behind him. And I know it's probably not the, the first effect of that lighting choice. It's probably the second, third, fourth effect. And it's nice when a bunch of things line up together. But I've just always liked that choice specifically because it just reminds me of, of a door, which is symbolic for this song, I guess. Yeah, and it really works, you know, because they, because he's crossing crossing a threshold, he's transitioning, right. you know, and for me, uh, that moment is suggestive of a path, like he's going to, he's traveling, you know, he's he's transition, but that's a moment of transition as well, you know. For me, I think of it as you know a lane that he's walking down and he's transitioning to the mansion of rest rather than closing the door of the office, but those you know, those ideas are similar, our interpretations, right? But, and they're both communicated by that one, one lighting composition. I, so funny, that, that light cue, (laughs) it always makes me think of the end of Gladiator. Like this, there's something about uh, Maximus, you know, going to his mansions of rest, you know, and that, that scene where he's, he's floating over the ground. Um, Spoilers for Gladiator, a movie that came out (laughs) Yeah, we didn't tell you Let's like, Dive Deep yeah, only sorry. contained Hamilton spoilers. We will spoil everything that you're hoping to watch. Sure. Don't you watch out when you're here. There's nothing <laughs> that leaves Let's Dive Deep unspoiled. Got some uh got some shockers about Luke Skywalker's father coming later. Um but uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, it's just but yeah, it is it's a transitional moment, you know, and yeah, door, path, it all works. Just another another example of Howell Binkley being a genius. All right. I I'm love good the. For one... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, speaking of the lighting, I love all the live moves at the end of the number, like getting up towards the button where the the lights are coming up with Jackson, and then that live snap onto the button where the open beams go into the gobo. Ugh, love it so much. Good, simple lighting in this track. Really, really good stuff. All right. Well, that was one last time. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to that. You're going to hear a jingle, and we'll be back in a moment in your time. In real life, who knows? We'll be back with the return of King George, and I know him. All right, we are back with I Know Him, a very short, a very funny song, King George is back, as Lin-Manuel has, has stated. Uh, he exists so they can take the piss out of him, which is awesome. And they do indeed. 
King George immediately hops in our stitch, still without the um, without the big like cloak and the robe and all that stuff. Like just you know, a little weakened, still a little less powerful than the the first time we see him, where he just interrupts everyone. Um, but it's it's very funny. His first concern is like, wait. You can give away power? What in the tar what in tarnation is happening? Like George Washington's yielding his power? I didn't know that was something you can do, which is it's just so fun. It's such a good You don't need a comedic break here, but it's nice when you get it and this is just so funny. I think you do need something like this here, but for a different reason than you might expect. I think that this is brilliant story crafting here because you cannot follow that moment with Jackson of sincerity and earnest emotion. You can't follow it with another moment like that. There's no following that act. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, so what you do in order to follow it effectively is you follow it with something completely different because that is acceptable, right? Now, John Groff probably could. Match, hello, Samson Cat. Uh, John Groff probably could match Jackson's level of ability. He's a fantastic performer. I've always been a fan of his. But in the context of the show, I guess what I'm saying is, for the audience, that moment with Washington is able to sit and live with you better because it's not competing with a similar idea that comes right after it. You're able to live with that sincerity because you get something different next and you don't have that you don't have those ideas competing is what I'm saying. Uh if that makes sense. I think it's brilliant. I think there's a lot of smart stuff going on here. I also think that in this number we've seen a progression of George's madness. This is the the first time in the show where to me he's actually the mad king George. And I like it. Oh by the end when he's like bouncing up and down on that mm -hmm. stool, he's fully gone. He's like fully yeah. just in his own shit. Like whatever. I don't even know. I want to talk about that moment because it it's wild. But okay. But before that, <laughs> before that, <laughs> once he figures out like they are gonna replace people who are in charge, and no mm -hmm. one looms quite as large. This fucking guy knows John Adams. What? <laughs> like this? Like out of all the people, it's someone that this king is like actually met and can dunk on, which I think is like. It's just super unlucky if you're John Adams. Everyone's lining up to dunk on Before we even knew John Adams, Hamilton was already dunking on him, but saying he doesn't have a real job to do mm -hmm. when he was, right? Like, everyone's in on the John Adams dunk, and then the fucking king gets to be in on it because out of all the people he's met in his life that he remembers enough to dunk on, John Adams is one of them? Like, what? Okay, sure. Okay. Like, it's just so funny to me. Yeah, I think Adams was like a, a colonial representative like to the crown something like that uh or he was he was part of negotiating the treaty as well i can't remember but yeah the fact that his his proximity to the king is another opportunity for him to be insulted that it's not a compliment you know it's just <laughs> the poor guy now let's be real it's going to suck to be compared to Washington, no matter who you are. But I think that King George here says something very, very true. And I think that you already mentioned it in uh, the, the first half of this episode. There is no one that looms as large as Washington. 
there's no one, right? But are we are we to take George's and Hamilton's opinion of Adams as sacrosanct or are they as unreliable narrators as Burr is? You know what I mean? Like surely the second president of the United States can't be that bad. <laughs> well, well, also, I mean, separate from Hamilton, who has a, a lot of personal stake in this, I mean, um, um, I think, what does King George say here? Right, like he He's concerned that he's not, like, tall. Like, I, think, I don't think King George's analysis is very deep here about whether he's going to be a good president or not. I think he's like, mm-hmm. that's the little guy who spoke to me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think he's <laughs> analyzing. I think Hamilton, I think there are different reasons why they don't like John Adams. I think King George's mm-hmm. is very shallow, superficial. This guy's small. I love, too, the line, anytime this happens, all, like, anytime, it gets me every time. It's my favorite thing to happen in a period piece when they reference things as if they live in this time. There's the, I'm going to keep bringing it up. There's a line in the last kingdom somewhere where it's like, this is the ninth century. You just can't murder people, <laughs> which gets me every, <laughs> like every time that gets me. It's the same, like, what was it? 85, right? Mm-hmm. As if like, cause that's how we talk about the nineties. And so it's just right. so cool to me to have this line. Maybe that's how they talked about the 1700s and 1800. I have no idea. Probably. I imagine in the 1900s, you talk about 85 is 1885. I imagine it's a, uh, Every couple of generations, they get their chance to talk about eighty-five. Right. But it's just well, yeah, that's it's how we similar talk about to the... yeah, similar to Jefferson's. I guess I basically missed the late eighties. You know, exactly it's such right. the... you only get to talk yeah. about it at the beginning of a new right. Like once we get into twenty thirty, and we talk about the twenties, we don't get to talk about the twenties anymore. Like there's a point in my mm-hmm. life where I can't talk about the twenties anymore because I was ten years ago instead of 90 years ago. And so there you have to be in this specific time frame at the beginning of a new century for the first 10 years or so where you get to reference the mm-hmm. whole last century as the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. And so I just like that we found time to squeeze that in because that's been my, just because I was born in 95 and I, I've had this 10-year period where I can reference all of the 1900s as, and I, that, that, that opportunity for me will slowly fade as I age. Once it hits... Right, like, like in five years, if I reference the twenties, like that's five years ago. We're talking about twenty twenty, mm-hmm. not nineteen twenty. So I just like that in this small window of time, we get this cool reference specifically available to people if they're alive at at this moment at the beginning of a new century. Mm-hmm. That has just nothing to do with that Hamilton. Window. I just like, <laughs> I just like it. There's nothing to do with this musical. I just it gets me every time. There's never. It's my. If you want to impress me. Just a t- an old timey reference that sounds like a new timey reference is perfect. <laughs> I don't know if I have ever heard anyone say new timey. <laughs> I love it. Well, if you have old timey, that implies uh, you just don't even normally have to say new timey. But if you have an old timey reference, that implies a new timey something. I've just never thought about it. I love it. <laughs> I also love Bullet Girl. Oh, Bullet Girl's here. Um, I just put in my notes because it proves your point absolutely correctly uh, from earlier in whichever podcast episode that was, where you were talking about Bullet Girl or something that affects Hamilton more than the characters that she's actually surrounding. And that's the case mm-hmm. here. She, and, like, the way King George treats her is complete shit. <laughs> right? Like, he was like, get out of here. And, like, when the stool later, he's like, no, you, like, I'm not stepping one inch to the side. You are putting that stool under my ass. Like, that is how mm-hmm. this is working. Um, I love that she yeah. gets in in the Disney Plus version. I love that she gets a close up here because she's doing some really great work on stage. Her her presence is just electric. 
Right. You know. So so she's around because we're talking about John Adams, and John mm-hmm. Adams is going to be bad for Hamilton. Huzzah! Mm-hmm. You are correct, and I just wanted to point that out. I do what I can. Yeah. I appreciate it. Both, both girls are great. <laughs> she's great at like she's in, just a great actress in this moment because she and then Disney Plus you notice her because it's specifically mm-hmm. her in a close up for both of her kind of moments here, um, and yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, she really, really is. His his joy. His his Schadenfreude about what's about to happen to America is is delightful to watch. I think that Groff delivers a really engaging performance here. And like, no matter what you think of the king, that's how I would feel, right? Like you're the king of this empire, and they rebelled, and you weren't able to win that fight. And so now that they're now that you think they're going to tear each other into pieces, you're like kicking back, you're getting the popcorn, you're like, ha ha, this will be fun. Like when he says Jesus Christ, this will be fun. I believe him. I believe like. If I was the king of, if anyone were the king of England at the time, mm-hmm. and you've lost the Americas, you've lost them. That's embarrassing. But now they're kind of like you. You predict now that they're going to fall into some sort of internal conflict. Of course, you're rooting for that because yeah. his mind. You're just you. You still think of them as like they belong to you, right? Like I get, I get right. it. I totally get it. Yeah, in his mind, this is you know this is what you get. You should have stayed with me. Right. I I, right. I told Jones you it was going to be hard. Like, yeah. Right. Grass what ain't com- always greener. You 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 moved in with a new boo. You moved mm-hmm. in with a new boo. Now there's a heat wave. They don't have an air conditioner. Fuck off. Like I hope you right, like, like I imagine that's exactly how King George is thinking. <laughs> that was a very oh. timely heat wave reference. For those of you listening to this three years in the future, uh I would melt without this air conditioner. Yeah. That was a very new timey reference the new time heat wave <laughs> vancouver reference absolutely um, and i i i hope that three years from now this is a relic of the past or we're just going to be living in a constant heat wave who knows we'll find out together right, who knows? right absolutely <laughs> um uh, very nice of the king to, to wish john adams good luck definitely not sarcastic mm-hmm. at all very sincere Mm-mm, not at all you know, wishes him wishes him well. Thinks he's going to do a great job. Yeah, uh, you know not, that's what just... he's that's what he's excited about here. He's really excited about the new opportunity for America. Really positive, Absolutely. really supportive. Yeah, he's a good ally. He's <laughs> he's a friend. Right, and so that, I mean, there's just not much to talk about with this song. Jonathan Groff's amazing. The King is funny. It's a good transition piece. It's just I don't know. Bullet Girl is the main kind of storyline thing to talk about here. Um, kind of gives you a heads up that John Adams is not going to be good for Hamilton. And also in the back of our minds, you know, part of recording this podcast week over week after week is that like the songs we talked about two weeks ago happened two weeks ago. We're not watching the musical at full. Like in the back of your mind still is like 10 minutes ago when Hamilton cheated on his wife. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're still waiting for that ball to drop. So as you see Bullet Girl hovering around, you're like, oh, who knows what's going to happen? Right. Like because you're in your mind when you're watching this, like that hasn't left you either. Right, Washington's gone. Hamilton still cheated on his wife. There's no way that's in the musical if that's not coming back, right? And so you're kind of it kind of transitions as soon as this is done. You're like, oh shit, here we go. Mm-hmm. And in that transition moment, in that oh shit moment, first of all, you got to start using your soundboard a lot more. I would enjoy that. That would be that oh, would be okay. fantastic because I know that you have it. I've been waiting for it to show up on this podcast. So, so the reason why, so the reason why I can use the sensor button. Is because it's directly connected to my microphone. So if I press the sensor, I can't talk through my microphone. It's coming through the same line. My soundboard isn't. So I'd have to oh. reconfigure. I can reconfigure it. 
but it would take some time. But the, the sensor just, button is connected to my microphone. That way I can't swear and press the sensor at the same time, or else that would be very counterproductive. Right? It would like, be very counterproductive indeed. But man, wouldn't it be funny? Just random in the middle of a Let's Dive Deep Hamilton. Just a, a good old Van Bradley. Yo! Uh, <laughs> anyway, I love that the king, I love that the king lingers here. He's so excited about the catastrophe that's about to ensue. He's going to sit down and watch. He's going to stay. This moment, he stays on stage and watches as we get into the Adams administration. And we have a fourth wall break between him and Burr. Burr's like, oh, are you you watching the... You're, okay, you're going to... It's, okay, it's very cool. similar to the Jefferson looking at Burr. Mm-hmm. When... when earlier whichever song that was where jefferson comes on and and just like what the fuck is bird doing here yeah <laughs> right like it's the same kind of thing for sure but from yeah. Bird's point of view this time um mm-hmm. yeah the king being on stage he's a wild child he's like bouncing up he like, is he is like gleeful at this opportunity to watch this this chaos unfold. I think what I like most about the Adams administration, the, the whole song has actually has nothing to do with it. I just like that the musical dunks on John Adams as much as everyone else does by giving him a single song to sum up his entire administration. And that single song is only about really Hamilton. It's not even about John Adams. And so obviously the play is called Hamilton, right? But I just like how the musical also like participates in this dunk fest of John Adams, whether accidentally on purpose, because it's necessary for time, whatever. Right, I just like the consistency by which every single person, thing, choice, uh, just completely dunks on John Adams. And later, it's like John Adams shat the bed. I love the guy, but he's in traction. Like it never stops. <laughs> as long as no. John Adams is relevant, someone's dunking on him, which I appreciate. That, you know, I'm, of course, as a proxy of doing this podcast, refreshing my memory of some of the history I was taught, but. It's always been my understanding that Adams after Washington was just complete milk toast, was not anything impressive. Like that's how that's what I was taught. Um, I know there's some really good biographical material out there that I look forward to exposing myself to. But like this is I think for dramatic effect, it's heightened in this musical. But once again, I go back to it's proven right that no one in America loomed as large. But I agree with your analysis that, or at least what I what I think your analysis is, is like this is you got you got to trim some fat. And the thing is, we're focusing on the Adams administration in as much as it dealt with Hamilton. We got more of the Washington administration because more of it dealt with Hamilton, right? And what we're focused on here is how it affects our protagonist, right? I have like I you have to assume that there were there were more important things that happened under Adams administration than he just let Hamilton go but like that's what we're focusing on also it's already what 2 hour 45 minute musical we don't have time for two presidencies we got to we, we got to move yeah. along <laughs> so this so burr burr's very happy during the song you know the mm-hmm. the, the the start of the down, and right after this we get we know like so this is like the start like we're fully on the downhill now i know we say like macbeth is the start but it's a slow it's like a snowball for hamilton like the macbeth sure. part is yeah. like the smart yeah. is like the snowball starting to get bigger and bigger but now here is where we it fully starts railroading like it's just on a 
on another level of, of getting bigger here. Um, we learned quite a bit about Hamilton and all of his many endeavors from Burr here. How does Hamilton, the short-tempered, fair play? This is a short, which, you know, sh this is a short-tempered man. Um, the creator of the protean creator of the Coast Guard. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. Like, what? <laughs> okay. Like, in oh, head, I... we only have four members of the cabinet. One of them is a war secretary. It is like, mm -hmm. we talked about how the treasury covers a lot because there's only four secretaries. But like, mm -hmm. the Coast Guard is not, specifically not, a treasury thing. So I love this for Hamilton. I, I, can, I can help you out here. The Coast Guard that Hamilton started is not the modern idea of the Coast Guard. It started as people that were accepting goods and duties at ports and like handling goods and services and then were also protecting the just watching the ports and the shipping lanes uh and the original name was the the revenue marine they were tax agents that worked at the port and that's why they were under that's where hamilton got the idea for it their jurisdiction grew into what's now the the modern coast guard and they're actually funny enough the coast guard is the branch of the american military that has been continuously like running as what it is the longest like there are there are oldest branch of service interestingly enough but yeah on the surface it's like what but they weren't they weren't originally a wartime power they were um and they're more peacetime but i mean they've got guns uh, but it's it was like a it was a tax thing, you know. He was the tax man, and they were just more saying, tax saying men. they've got guns about like and it's like everyone in America has guns. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> like to a Can to a Canadian, it's like oh the Coast Guard has guns. It's like well, what? when I go to America, in my head, everyone has guns. I go to a Walmart and people have guns. Like it's wild. Yeah, great uh, quote from Miss Congeniality. Uh, this is Texas. Everyone has a gun. My florist has a gun. Yeah, it's unfortunate, <laughs> so, but true. <laughs> right. Um, so, but like in the musical, you don't know that. I'm I'm me with my my 2021 idea of what the Coast Guard is. And then this just gets mm -hmm. passed in like, it's just a passing mention. And then it never gets brought up again. So you're like, okay, I guess Hamilton also created the Coast Guard. It also created the newspaper, the New York Post. We're all very familiar with the New York Post. That makes a lot of sense to me. Writing like he's running out of time makes a lot of sense that he would mm -hmm. come up with why, why slander Jefferson in someone else's newspaper under a pseudonym when you can do it in your own newspaper under a pseudonym? <laughs> like, why, yeah. why not? This is awesome. But what we learn here is, is Burr, and this is, this is a little bit of unreliable narrator, a little bit of Burr. It's a little bit of both here, right? How does he um, abuse, ardently abuse his cabinet post, destroy his reputation? Welcome, folks, to the Adams administration. Right. So there's a little bit to parse here because the implication here is that the Adams administration is what kind of destroys Hamilton's reputation. And that's part of it. But in the in the rest of the musical, like we talked about at the beginning, we take the whole musical into context. It's actually the Reynolds pamphlet that destroys his reputation more so than John Adams. And so it's interesting to me that Burr here is it's, it's he's priming us for Hamilton's reputation to be destroyed. Right, but not for the reason. Like, he's just happy to attribute anything to destroying Hamilton's reputation. But the main reason we get is actually the Reynolds pamphlet, not anything to do with John Adams, other than he's out of power, I guess. The Reynolds pamphlet is the 
ignition source. It's the it's the spark. It's the tender, right? I think that the Adams administration is the perfect fireplace for Hamilton's destruction to happen within, right? This is kind of this is the perfect environment politically for them to be able to take advantage of all of the of what they think they know about him. We learn that they don't like you don't even know what you're asking me to confess. You're so wrong. Like it was actually so yeah, I agree with you, but I think I think we get this framing device of the Adams administration because the this is the time is the time is right. Now is the time to take Hamilton down. Like this is the environment in which it can happen. Right? And I and I think what we're shown is that Hamilton could have navigated this administration much better and been fine. Like he doesn't react well to any of this. He doesn't learn the lesson of Washington. You know, and under the auspices of the Adams administration, he lets them threaten him. He lets them take advantage of him, and then he shoots himself in the foot. Yes, I have many thoughts. So I actually did quite a bit of research into the Reynolds pamphlet recently after we recorded the episode. And I, what I was looking for was just what the adaptive choices were. Because the Reynolds pamphlet, mm-hmm. knowing Hamilton, is probably like 186 pages, not just like a it one It is. It's wild. It's wild, dude. Adaptive choices. So initially, when I started researching it, I was like, "Oh, this is so much worse in the musical than it is in real life." But it's also like the, the adaptive choices. Like, so in real life, part of it is way worse in the sense that, like, <laughs> it's implied in the musical that he only sleeps with Mariah Reynolds for a month while they're on holiday. No. It was a year. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, it was, like, so the musical does Hamilton, like, not dirty in a couple of ways. It actually makes it slightly better. But then, like, the actual Reynolds pamphlet, in terms of the context, is not nearly as just inflammatory right off the... Like, there's a lot more justification and rationale and explanation. And it's not just about... Like, it's called the Reynolds pamphlet in hindsight, but it's not just about... It's a bit long... I don't know. I think Mm -hmm. the adaptive choices are fascinating. I'm going to talk about them again when we get to We Know. But man, like, researching the Reynolds pamphlet was a wild time on the internet because that that shit is crazy. It's insane. When you start looking into it, it's insane. And also, he, he had that shit proofread. Like I forget who it was, but I don't know. Let's. It was probably John Jay. Let's let's bring him up again. John Jay's uh, Easter egg on this episode, Yo, ladies and gentlemen. Good old Henry John Knox, Jay. Nathaniel Green. All of, you, all, all of our homies. Our homies are back. Hamilton. Hamilton like had someone read that, and they were like, "Dude, don't publish this. What are you doing? What the don't." Fuck and he doing? still does it anyway. Right? Like it's so much. Like it's better and worse in real it's life. Because so in real life, it's even more of a sense of like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's for we know. That's for we know. Anyways, um, um, I want to talk briefly about um the system here where Jefferson's the runner-up, which makes him the vice president. And the reason mm-hmm. why I want to talk, I just want to talk about it a little bit, because later, later Madison is gonna say, "Hey, that system doesn't make sense, right?" And obviously, in 2021, the system is different. I cannot imagine Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump would have gotten along as president and vice president. You know what I mean? Like, I, I understand mm-hmm. why I the system so, was no. changed. Right? I understand the the reasons in terms of like governing infrastructure, why the change was made. 
I just want to point out, like, Madison's going to pretend later that he had absolutely fucking nothing to do with setting this up and that the whole idea was terrible, as if he just hasn't <laughs> been around constitutional stuff for a while. That's a separate take for then, but just want to prime the brains of our listeners that Madison's later is going to say this system doesn't make any sense, as if he's just had nothing to do with it this entire time, as if the war happened. He just, Madison just showed up. He's not. He definitely didn't write a bunch of those pamphlets about the Constitution that had this provision in it. Nuh-uh. He didn't. Like, so I just want to point that out, that later Madison's going to get a little on my nerves about this whole situation. Um, but Jefferson's the vice president. Obviously terrible for Hamilton. I'm not sure what the role of the vice president in this time is. I'm assuming nothing, but <laughs> I'm assuming it's a very ceremonial role, but cool. He's the vice president. Well, um, as we know, it's not a real job anyway. Right, exactly. Like, it's just, yeah. whatever. He's the vice president. Cool. Okay, we don't really understand. I don't understand what the vice president in real life does, <laughs> right? Never mind in this musical, like, whatever. <laughs> um, so, still, you don't want Jefferson in a position of power. But in terms of, like, actual influence, it seems like the, the secretary of state is more influential than the vice president. So, it seems to me like Jefferson's taken a step back in terms of just raw influence over policies and whatnot. Um um, yeah, we Adams, you know, we don't really have we don't have very powerful, very influential vice presidents in the states really until uh, until the modern era, really until like the 70s and 80s. Um, it has, you know, it's often been kind of more of a ceremonial thing uh, for sure. The uh, the real like, I don't know, the real power holder, I would I would say instead of the secretary of state would be the chief of staff. But that that position as it exists now didn't really exist then. So I don't know if there's, you know, I don't know if there is a comparison. But, yeah, I can see it being a step back. But, um, yeah. Um, and then we have Adams fires Hamilton, which is a little bit different than real life. Hamilton was not fired by Adams in real life, as far as I know. He was already not the Treasury Secretary. Maybe he resigned or something. I can't remember. Anyways, um, Adams fires Hamilton, privately calls him Creole Bastard. And I just want to say, for all the dunking on John Adams we get in this musical, perfect analysis of Hamilton. <laughs> right? <laughs> Hamilton is definitely Creole Bastard. 100% great analysis, John Adams. He's a character guy. He can see through Hamilton a little bit. He gets it. Um, Hamilton responds with, sit down, John, you fat motherfucker, which is a very well thought out, very well reasoned response you know yeah very it's calm, as, very calm. as as eloquent as anything else hamilton has written then, you know really showcases his genius out, and then you find out that these two are in the same party which washington would hate the party system but like hamilton what the fuck are you doing mm -hmm. right like you don't like like surely you don't like jefferson more than you don't like john adams like swallow your pride for a minute here and just pretend to support this guy who's in your party like, what? Yeah, he can't do it. He can't do it. Like he's too, he's too much of a Creole bastard. He's just got too much. Like at this point, you know, energy and anger in him. And that's the thing. Like this could have been navigated so much better. You know, he like he could have done oh, Hamilton. I'm I'm gonna start dunking on him too. <laughs> but that's that's what I'm saying. Like I think that's why his his dealings with Adams and the way he just biffs this completely. That's what sets it up for them to try to take him down. That's what primes the pump, you know? Yeah. Um, Madison then says, hey, this is, this is great. This is the best case scenario. 
Hamilton's not in power. He doesn't have an office. He just destroyed John Adams, right? Like the only other member or the only other prominent member of his party. And then Jefferson has to be like, no, 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 no. You don't understand this Hamilton guy. He is like, if he has a pen, he is a threat. Maybe not as big, maybe the level of threat, you know, you have your different DEFCON levels. Maybe the DEFCON level is, is reducing, but like at any point that could be a DEFCON 5 or whatever the highest level is, right? And I like that from, from Jefferson. He's a more critical analysis of Hamilton. Like, oh, slow your roll, Madison. Because I think this guy can still be a problem for us. Mm -hmm. There's something in both of these lines that I want to dig into just a little bit because it's it's one of those things that first first listening, first watching, something that I skipped over. But I think there's something really important going on here. And that's first Madison saying that Hamilton destroyed President John Adams. He doesn't say that he insulted him. He doesn't say that he attacked him. Madison says that Hamilton destroyed John Adams. And I think that that word choice is important. What that means is that public opinion of Hamilton is so high that Hamilton's opinion of the president matters. Everyone understands that when Hamilton says or writes something, it has effect. He doesn't, he doesn't do it without getting results, right? So the fact that he says that Madison is saying, hey, he Hamilton can destroy a president, but he's saying, you know, that that this is this is weakening their party. What you're saying about Jefferson, I think doubles down on that, right? Jefferson is saying, oh no, no, you Madison, you're saying that he just destroyed a president, and you're saying that's good. I'm saying, Madison, listen to yourself. As long as Hamilton can say stuff and people believe him, we're all in danger, right? Like Jefferson's looking at Madison saying, why did you just say that like it's a good thing, Madison? This is a bad thing. Like we have, to, much, we have to. It gives me very much, um, spoilers for Harry Potter. It gives me very <laughs> much the uh, two, two, first chapter of book six, uh, Half-Blood Prince, The Two Ministers. It gives me very much um, when we were doing the recap with Corny Fudge about all the times he's talked to the prime minister. And he says, mm -hmm. like, well, uh, Voldemort's only dangerous if he has support. It's like, wait, well, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what? What do you mean? That's insane. This guy is like Satan. Like, what are you talking This guy is so powerful. I, I always got, like, the same vibes from this. Like, what are you on? Yeah. This guy is insanely powerful just by himself. Yeah. I don't think we really, you know, we don't have room for it in the show. But we don't ever get in what what I'm missing in the show is a representation of before Hamilton completely obliterated his own life. He was so beloved by the public. I mean, people threw him a parade like his his opinion mattered to people. Right. And so I do. I love that it's represented in this couplet. I think that here at the end of this number, we get that represented in the show and like the the adoration that society had for him both public and private society had for him i think is represented here so yeah jefferson you know jefferson accurately saying hamilton is Voldemort. he's dangerous we gotta take him like we need to get hamilton's horcruxes now like we right. gotta go absolutely <laughs> that's exactly right very very similar vibes to that moment in book six Every time I read that, just a separate thing, every time I read that, I, like, close my book, like, take a breath, and then reopen my book. 
to go back. I'm like, <laughs> that is the dumbest thing in any of these seven books that anyone has said. Moving on. Anyways. You know what um, I think is dumb? A- the slowest bird possible to carry their mail. Like, come on. You can teleport. Anyway. But that, for Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter, we will get into all the... <laughs> the I have... So, for those listeners out there, Let's Dive Deep <laughs> Harry Potter will be a thing one day. I don't know when that's going to be. But I've started coming up with a list of things that we're going to track for Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter. Right? And one of those things, like, how many times should a Hogwarts professor have been fired? That's one of them. Like, it's, you got to track how many times. How many times could someone have just apparated and been way more efficient than what they choose to do is another one. <laughs> how many times in Harry Potter could an adult who's passed their apparition test could have just apparated to where they need to go instead of sending a letter? Just apparate <laughs> to the person's house and apparate. Well, what the fuck are you doing? Ugh. Anyways. Anyways. That's it. That's that's a sneak peek for let's dive deep Harry Potter. Whenever that happens, we t- we told you there would be spoilers. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we get in. Let, let's let them know what we know. Let's let him know what we know. And now we like once we get into we know, it starts like there's a lot of reconfiguring how this really happened for the musical, which I'm excited to talk about. But within the musical canon. Like, we're still, like, 15 minutes at this point off of Hamilton cheating on his wife, right? So everyone remembered that. And then when we, when you hear, let's let him know what we know, you're like, oh, shit, like, it's happening. Like, they know. Because you don't know that they know. You don't know that anyone knows, right? You have no idea that anyone knows about this other than Hamilton, Mariah, and James Reynolds. Those are the people that you know. And you know that Hamilton has paid Reynolds off, but you don't know how much or when or how often or why he keeps records of it. What? Anyways. <laughs> um, but when you see, like, let's let him know what we know, it's a really good, like, as if we're writing, like, a suspense novel. You're like, oh, shit. These guys know. Like, and you have no idea what's going to happen next. Right? If you're watching this for the first time, you're like, oh, my God. These guys found out about the Reynolds thing. Like, what's going to happen here? And it's just so, such a good momentum push into the next couple of songs. He kept receipts. <laughs> he documented his cool. yeah. Oh my goodness, I got I got a lot to uh, I got a lot to unpack about the the notes that he keeps about his payments to James Reynolds. But uh, a quick uh, uh, and that that'll that'll be for next episode. A quick little anecdote uh, about the end of this song for me. Uh, you know, let's let him know what we know. John Mulaney has ruined this song for me because every time this song ends and we go into the next one, I hear in my head John Mulaney's voice saying, and the other shoe just dropped. (laughs) (laughs) John Mulaney's a king, man. John Mulaney is the best. Absolutely. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. And the other shoe. Dad comes in. I'm a teenager Saturday night, chucks the newspaper at me. The other shoe, the shoe just, just dropped. dropped. And I, I, I'm oh, watching my... this or listening to it, and I completely out of context giggle to myself. And anyone around me is like, what are you? It's, sorry. it's just, uh, he's ruined it for me. Or made it better. I'm not sure. <laughs> right. And the, I mean, John Lee is so good. Like, when his mom is accusing him of something to, or having something to do with it, and he's like, I had a yeah. really good defense, considering I was eight and in Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, more or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 
Like wherever he was, right? Like, was yeah. So <laughs> so, okay. If you haven't, if you're a listener to this podcast and you haven't watched John Mulaney's comedy specials, I think they're on Netflix for everyone. Go have fun. They're amazing. They're, yeah. they're in terms of all comedy specials, the most PG ones, like he's not overly rude or anything. Like he's just funny. And yeah, so, I'd agree with that. He's, he's really, he's really not very blue. Um, it's good. He's good for all ages. Good for all ages. Anyways, I think that's all I got for these songs. I, I don't have anything else. This is just such a great primer for the next set of songs. My mischief is managed. <laughs> Timely Harry Potter reference. New timey. New time, a new timey Harry Potter <laughs> reference. All right, well, I think that'll do us for this episode. I have 59 minutes to get my, um, my, 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 my body mentally prepared. Um, and physically uh, consumed with alcohol before this Euro final that I'm excited to uh, watch. If you enjoyed this episode of Let's Dive Deep, do all the things that we talked about at the beginning. You know, leave us a star review wherever you listen to this. Hit that subscribe button. Tell a friend about it. Our viewer viewership, listenership is on a steady climb. You guys don't slow down. You guys don't slow down. Every month is higher than the next month by at least 30% or so. So keep on telling people about the podcast. Um, feel free to leave those reviews. Email us like Annabella did. Let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at let's dive deep. I'm not super active on there. Mainly you'll just get scheduling notes and like funny memes from me, but Hey, you know what? That's what Twitter is mostly about. Um, I think that's it though. In the next episode, we're going to start with, we know, I don't know where we're going in the next episode. I should figure this out beforehand. Where are we going in the next episode? I think we got, we got, we know for sure. Ooh, this is exciting. I'm trying to remember. We know Hurricane and the Reynolds pamphlet and probably Burn for sure. That's a good four piece. Because, like, I think I think Blow Us All Away is a little bit separate. And so I think probably those four, if I had to take a guess. But I can't actually remember. It works for me as a piece. Burn, there's, there's so much to talk to there. But they all fit as a four piece. You know, especially because blow us all away, stay alive and quiet up town to me work as a unit as well. So I imagine that could be, yeah. that could be our next couple of episodes, a four parter. I'm, and I'm a looking three-parter. right now to see if that's what I did. I'm looking right I, because now. That's see. what I'm, that's what fits to me. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I did. Yes. Yep. Scheduling Brad from January or whenever I wrote this master outline did right. exactly that. All right. That's I'm, it for I'm us. not Thank looking you so much for listening. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm not looking at the outline because I want to pretend as though we're never actually going to have to talk about the world was wide enough. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh buddy. Oh right, shit. Well, that's all that's I got. one two. We only have four episodes left. Shit. I know. I know it's coming, man. It's coming. Shit, by August, by uh, by mid-August, we'll be wrapped up with the main canonical analysis. Holy shit. I know. I'm it's it's a thing. It's getting there. It's, it's coming. A thing. It's All coming. Right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you in the next one.